ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is David Grubb. Um, today, we're going to be having a conversation that um, I really wanted to have with some someone that I knew, uh, because I think this is a topic that's very visceral, and it deserves an honest and open and, quite frankly, possibly emotional conversation. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, Brian Flores and his lawsuit against the NFL, and the first person I, I checked in with to do this is my, my good friend Shakira Martin. Um, Shakira said, David, I got two other people that uh, you got to have on too. They, they want to get in on this conversation. Um, so I also welcome for the first time to Hard to Paint, Malcolm Carter and Naomi Gray. So to all three of you, uh, welcome to Hard to Paint. And I'm so glad to have you. And um, this is such an important topic, I think, for us to discuss. Do uh, let, Naomi, I'll start with you. Uh, just introduce yourself and um, where, where, where you work, what you do, and uh, we'll get into it. Yeah, as you mentioned, my name is Naomi Gray. I work out of Huntsville, Alabama for Fox local affiliate. And um, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, which is ironic because that's where Brian Flores is from. He's from Brownsville, Brooklyn. Um, and yeah, I have a lot of opinions on this situation. It's kind of hard to dissect. I don't know if you want me to start the conversation or if you want to introduce Malcolm first, because we'll be here all day if I start. Right, I'm, I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves and then we'll, you know, kind of got it. Because like you said, if we just let it flow, it could go in a lot of directions. Yeah. Malcolm. Well, well, I definitely appreciate the invite. Uh, once again, my name is Malcolm Carter. I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, currently, I'm a reporter for the Community Voice here in Wichita. We're an African-American publication. Uh, so, I mean, longtime sports fan and a black man myself, so. Definitely is a, a topic near and dear to me. And Shaq, you can reintroduce yourself to uh, the audience. Uh, yeah, well, first off, David, thanks for having me on. I'm super honored that you thought of me to have this conversation. My name is Shakira Martin. I'm currently a freelance sports reporter out in Kansas at the moment, moving around, grooving, and uh, seeing where life takes me for the next chapter of where I'll be headed to. So. Yeah, it's really good to be here amongst uh, friends and uh, colleagues, basically, in the sports world, right? Um, just to talk about something that probably has hindered us all in a way, if it's not necessarily um, in the workplace, but perhaps back in the school days or just a relevant topic that, you know, we are starting to discuss a lot more since the pandemic hit us. And now in 2022, we're talking about the fact that Brian Flores has to do a lawsuit about being discriminated against in 2022. Who would have imagined that? I want to start with this because there's a brief history of things and I'm a little bit older than y'all. So you know, we didn't have the first black head coach in the NFL until 1986 with our show. Um, we only had four between 86 and 2002. Uh, and as Shell, Ray Rhodes, Dennis Green, and uh, Tony Dungeon. Those are the only four between 1986 and 2002. Now, it, black folks have been playing the NFL since the 1950s. So we're talking about it took over 30 years for there just to be one. There was a Latino head coach. Remember Tom Flores? The first Latino coach, Tom Flores, got his job in, in the 70s 
before long before black men got to be a coach um, in the NFL. And we are currently in the league that's 70% black. In 2002, when people, what people may have forgotten too is what is called the Rooney Rule is really a reaction to a lawsuit that Johnny Cochran threatened the NFL with in 2002. And part of that lawsuit had some of the exact same language that ended up in the Rooney Rule penalizing teams for with draft picks when they did not uh, interview minority candidates, awarding teams uh, with, with some incentives if they produced a progressive or inclusive front office. So this battle is not new. We know that this is not for us, not in the world of sports, not for the world of the NFL. But then to wake up February 1st, the first day of Black History Month, and to see and again, we talk about what we're, we're what three years past now. Colin Kaepernick's lawsuit to see where we are, and it seems as if yes, Coach Flores has done something as far as bringing attention to this again. But my first reaction was, "Here we go again." Um, I'm gonna start with you, Shakira, and tell me what your initial response was when you saw that this lawsuit had been filed. Uh, it was very triggering. It's when you watch his interviews, you're watching a human pour out their soul, basically expressing the frustration. But the triggering part comes from having to prove that you're experiencing a racism type of moment, right? That you're being discriminated against. How do you express that to someone who's never been in your shoes, never understood or never will uh understand what it's like to walk in your shoes, right? How do you express to them what you're going through? So I think it's triggering all the way around because we live in a society where you always want proof and evidence that something is going on when this has been something that has been hindering Black people in every situation that you can think about for a long time. So it was a here we go again because we're triggered from previous experience of just wondering when will we as Black people be enough? When will our our skill set be able to speak up for the fact that we deserve this job? If I have a huge resume going on and you can't deny the fact that I'm qualified for this job, when will that hold more range versus it being that I'm a black person? So yeah, I'm right there with you, triggering uh, and and saying, here we go again. Malcolm, we kind of exist in the sports in sports media in a white space. Um, we have created our own subsets within it with it with black Twitter and our own sites and our own conversations, but sports media is predominantly, and we're talking about 90% plus white they have the ability to shape this entire story going forward and we already can see that there are allies for the nfl and that they're enemies for brian flores what are you noticing about the media coverage and how this is over these first two days and how mainstream stations are addressing it and then or how many people just aren't really addressing this um I would say, kind of piggybacking on what you mentioned, a lot of the news media is kind of regurgitating the same type of theme, like kind of like this once one soul man against this NFL, this giant NFL entity, kind of like kind of like he's like this lone wolf in this fight. Um, I feel like, you know, we all know in reality that it's not just a fight that Brian Forrest is fighting, he's been fighting and fight, 
for people in the past and for people in the future. Um, so I think uh, initially when when the news when the news first broke, um, I think a lot of the the focus was on um, not necessarily on the on the facts. I feel like um, I think what what struck me at first was the text messages from Bill Belichick, um, and and to me that that was that kind of made me sick to my stomach a little bit um, for him to have been preparing for this interview and essentially for him not even have had to have a chance. Um, so I think in terms, in terms of new me- news media, we need to be kind of turning it up a little bit and saying like, like this, like what has been done to him, even going back to 2019, that he's citing is egregious. So I definitely, that's the viewpoint. There's so many things now woven into this. Because we do have, and we can get to, we'll get to this in a moment. The ownership side with Stephen Ross and how, um, basically, you you could talk about him trying to sabotage Coach Flores's career by saying, "I'll pay you a hundred grand to lose games uh, to give us a better draft spot." We know that typically what that would mean is if the Dolphins had gone one and fifteen that year, Flores wouldn't have been around for year two either way. That hundred grand right. wasn't going to keep his job for him per game. Um, but as we look at this deeper and we talk about him being a 40-year-old man entering what should be the prime of his coaching life, his career is just getting started in that space. And for him to be willing to throw it, as other people would say, throw that away at age 40. Naomi, can you just talk about the type of um, courage, really, that Coach Flores is exhibiting, but also do you have any fear for him, which I think is a natural response for a lot of black folks in this situation to be fearful for our brother in this as to what the outcome is going to be for him? Well, first and foremost, I want to say that I don't fear for him because, like I said, he's from Brownsville, Brooklyn. He got this. He, he could handle it. He knows what he's signing up for. And I feel like there's always a sacrificial lamb in our community. All of our top Black figures have all made sacrifices for change. And I think that's something that Brian Flores is doing. And he knows what comes from it. We've all seen what happened with Colin Kaepernick. We saw the struggles he went through. We saw he wasn't getting picked up. He had to try and schedule workouts. He had to fight, do all these things. Eventually they wind up settling. And was things really resolved? Not necessarily. So that's why we're here now. So as I said, I believe he knows what he's getting into. So I don't fear for him at all. I just think that this is something that needs to come to our attention because people think, oh, we have the Rooney rule. Okay, but that doesn't mean they have to hire black coaches. They're just interviewing them. And when we go back to system- systemic racism, they don't, they're not go- their top candidate pick probably won't be a black man. And that's why we see what happened in Brian Flores. That's why we see them already have somebody hired and he still had to show up for that interview regardless. So that's kind of where we're at. And one of the things that I always talk to people about during when when we do employment is I tell them close your eyes and imagine what a football coach looks like or close your eyes and tell me what the president looks like just imagine that when you talk to most white people they don't imagine somebody that looks like us they're never going to see us naturally in that space and I think when you look at how black coaches go into these situations you are up against just the first wall is proving that you even belong in the room where I think more often than not, whites get the benefit of the doubt walking in that simply your existence as a white man within the the business of football or wherever it is, 
you're supposed to be there. You know, you look at the situation in Houston where they've interviewed Josh McCown and he's a leader for that job. And this is a dude who's been coaching high school football, just retired a year ago. And they're talking seriously about giving this man an NFL franchise to run. And you have guys like Eric Bieniemy, who I haven't heard his name in a serious uh, interview yet. So, I mean, you know, you the first wall of this of just getting into the room. And as few candidates as we've heard during this hiring cycle, we've heard maybe, you know, we've heard the same three or four black names. But every year you see white dudes come out of the woodwork that you've never heard of coming in and getting jobs. They told you it was supposed to be a coordinator thing. Then you see special teams dudes getting jobs. Then you see cats from college who were losing coaches getting jobs. You see dudes who come out the, you know, out the wood, just out of anywhere to get jobs. That doesn't happen for us. That's just so frustrating. Um, Malcolm, you want to add on that one? No, extremely. Um, and I think I think the biggest thing for me um, in all of this and kind of I'm, I'm looking at it is that uh, they just this kind of this century old idea of like we're just we're just not at the we're not at the same table. Um, if you look at a guy like Brian Flores, I mean. He's as experienced as any other coaching candidate out there. Um, so I think like it's almost it's almost like laughable that we have to then kind of set all these different criteria and he meets all of these criteria, and then yet the conversation is then extended into something else. Now the conversation becomes becomes a, a merit or, or or skin color when I I thought the rule stated that you had to have this certain type of experience, which he has. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely hard. And like, like we alluded to the Colin Kaepernick situation, um, we all know that there weren't 32 quarterbacks better than Colin Kaepernick when, when he stepped off the field. Um, so it's just, it's just very hard when we get into these situations because the elephant, I feel like everyone knows the elephant is the room, but I think we're the only ones that are willing to address it. I think that's what it's hard. It's been hard for me. Shakira, when you see stuff like, you know, we saw earlier in the week when, I mean, last week when um, it was announced that there was going to be a new Supreme Court justice and nominees were black women. A lot of people that they were talking about who could fill this spot, black women. And there was an instantaneous reaction by America towards that. Again, checking people's qualifications. Do they belong in this space? That consistent fight to prove you belong as a black person in this country, can you talk about it just from your perspective, how tiring that shit is? Naomi's over there giving us the mm, me moment because I cannot express how many times we are on the phone talking about this, especially in the space of uh, being a sports reporter, right? That's a predominantly not only white industry, but that's also a predominantly male industry. So you'll see perhaps a, a white woman and she will come and she won't have the same judgment as what would be on like someone like myself, um, given because I think that there's just this picture of what and how America wants to define who's going to make what certain type of cut. This is what we want to establish as the cookie cutter black person. So if you don't fit this description, you kind of 
are an out uh, outfit to this entire situation. So having that burden daily um, is tiring if you allow that to be what is driving you. But when you realize I deserve to be here, my credentials are just as good as there, it's gonna stick, right? You throw it up and it's gonna stick because at the end of the day, I have the qualifications to be here and that is what makes you stand out from those who don't and those who do. I think what we're seeing with this Brian Flores situation is just that, right? He has the qualification to be a top candidate for a head coach job, but now we're seeing how the industry, and I really want to say society, is really subjective to what they want and who they want. And if you don't fit this certain picture, um, then we don't want you when in actuality, I mean, football is all objective, right? I mean, like if you don't have the skills, you're getting cut. Um, if you can't supply good uh, success, you're out of there. That's not the case for Brian Flores. So it's what other way to describe a situation other than I'm being discriminated against because perhaps I'm not the projection that you saw fitting as this, or maybe you had in your mind that I was gonna be one way and then I come out to being authentically myself and all of a sudden he's not good enough is as if the goal line will always be progressing forward for black people because you tell us one thing and we do that and it's just like oh nope you got to go on you got to keep moving that's frustrating but i mean our people and by our people i mean black people um we're resilient that shows in history that shows in everything that we've been through we always figure out a way to not let that be the burden that we choose to carry it's the burden that society can say hey this is what we think of you but when you know you belong you move accordingly so yeah it's frustrating but it's one, one more thing you got to just, that's your shoulders off. Man, Naomi, you look at this and you see not just Brian Flores and not just Eric Bieniemy, but, you know, we can talk about guys like, um, we talk about uh, Lovey Smith, who took his team to the Super Bowl and can't get a sniff of an NFL job since. Uh, you can talk about Raheem Morris. We can talk about Byron Leftwich. We can talk about Jim Caldwell, who uh, took the Lions to the playoffs uh, three times in four years and can't get a job. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's so, there are so many examples. It's hard at some point to not deal with imposter syndrome as a black person, to not look around and say, do I really belong in these places? Because you, you don't see anybody else like you there. And there is a general level of disbelief when we discuss What's not right? Uh, it, it just, you know, how do you deal with that? Um, it's it's not even something that I deal with. It's just something I live with. You know, I mean, I guess that could be the same sense. But I had tweeted something to this extent earlier this week that you know, when a black person isn't hired, the company's response is that we hired the candidate we felt was best fit. And I'm like, that's great and all, but of course you do that when you guys only have a particular mold and you're not willing to break it. A black person is not gonna fit in that mold if that's not the mold that was created from the jump. It's, it's a rare sighting when you see black people in certain positions. And that's what the imposter syndrome comes from. When 
for me, when I'm working in Alabama and I'm the only full African-American woman, black woman in the state of Alabama, who's a sports reporter, at least to my knowledge. And I stick out like a sore thumb, not that it's a bad thing, but it makes me feel different. And I have imposter syndrome on the daily from being a black woman and from being a woman in general in a male dominated area, a white male dominated area. So I always feel like I have to jump over hurdles and do backflips and do splits and do all this stuff with my content because I feel like I forever have something to prove. And I'm pretty sure black head coaches in the NFL feel that way. And it's also interesting because you mentioned that the NFL is 70% black and the impact of having somebody as your leader who looks like you, who reflects who you are and may have experienced your struggles is so impactful. We even see that in the education system. You remember who your black teachers were. You know what I mean? Like you remember them for life. You know their names because they looked at you and they taught you in a different way. They took their time with you. They didn't dismiss you like you may have been dismissed by other teachers. So there's a connection that could be there. And I'm not saying that black coaches can't develop a relationship with white players. Absolutely they can. They could be impactful and vice versa. A white head coach should be impactful to a black player. I've seen that. But it just... The math ain't mathing with this one, and it should be. It should be. In 2022, it definitely should be. And I just feel like, where does the struggle end when there aren't people sticking up for us? And I was talking to Shakira about this earlier, and she was saying, I want to see somebody like Patrick Mahomes speak up. And I was at first, I was like, why do you want to see him? Like, if he ain't going to say nothing, he's going to say nothing. But then it makes sense because then she followed with, we're seeing the, the, the same people speak up. We're seeing people who don't hold the same power as a player like Patrick Mahomes speak up. So that needs to be done because it changes the narrative a little bit, changes it a little bit. And it, it, it does cause some type of stir in the pot if we have people in certain positions speak up in Brian Flores' defense and other black coaches who are experiencing those same things. What's critical is who is going to stand with Brian Flores. And we see, you know, Hugh Jackson says he's got some receipts that he wants to show. Um, but again, all the black coaches in the world, even if they all got together and, and you know, this becomes a class action lawsuit and they're all able to participate. You're absolutely right, though. At part of this is if the players don't get behind this, if um, some white players don't get behind this, too. I mean, and that's that's just that's just a fact, particularly, you know, we, you have to have we know every time there's been progress for us in this country, you have to have, you have, to have some white face attached to it for it's us. Allyship. We, you need the ally. Yeah, if that's what I, I mean, I'll always use that word because it's not to me, it's not always allyship. Sometimes it's just it's co-opting, you know, and, and using our, our situation as more leverage for them morally to feel like that, that something has been done. Uh, but it, it's just incredibly, um, you know, it's incredibly sad to me that the volume from other players and people around the NFL has not been louder immediately. And I understand you got, people want to get facts and all these things and you, and there's, there's a standard for the court of law. But there's also a moment, I think, in anything that we do, whether it's, a civil rights demonstration, whether it's you know people fighting for workers' rights, whether it's people, whatever it is, there's a moment where the facts 
are, are secondary to the problem. And the problem has to be spoken about. And I think that we need to, to see more of these players um, talking about it right now. And I'm, and I'm looking at next week. I wonder what NFL media day is going to be like at the Super Bowl. I wonder what the game is going to be like. I wonder if this changes, you know, uh, Jay-Z's halftime show with Snoop and Dre and Mary. Does this impact all of that? And if it doesn't, are we going to be disappointed? And should we be disappointed? My question actually becomes, when does it stop being a show and when do we actually start seeing some things, right? This is the same league that two years ago, what, last year they were playing the National Negro Anthem and everyone was like, okay, what's going on here? This is the same league that has in racism in the end zone at some of the games or on the back of the helmets. Um it seems like a show when you have someone like Brian Flores stepping up and saying this is something that's been an issue. A lot of us knew that it was a show when Kaepernick was still unemployed and we're wondering where where is the balance at? It becomes, when is it gonna stop being a show and when will the people who actually have power, those, the black players, right? The Patrick Mahomes, the uh, Lamar Jacksons, the, the guys who are head front, who are leading, who, you know, I wanna say the, the white folks are listening to at the end of the day, when are those guys gonna realize that their platform and their leadership is, is, is very valuable in this situation to pick up and say enough is enough. But we're also dealing with a league that no matter what's going on, people aren't going to stop watching. People aren't going to stop cheering for their team. So it has to become when will the blacks, who are the predominantly um, black athletes in the league when are they going to be fed up enough to say, okay, enough is enough? Are we as consumers at the point? Uh, just, I mean, I know I'm, it's getting harder and harder for me by the year to consume the NFL as a product because it just feels wrong. The more, you know, the, the more we know about the league, the more we learn about the league and how it operates, it feels wrong. I want to support those brothers out there working hard, trying to provide for their families, doing the best that they can with their careers. But the institution and the NFL to me is, is, is an institution of the United States. It is not a standalone business. It is a propaganda arm of what America is supposed to be. That's why it's so connected to the military. That's why it's been so connected to presidential politics. That's why it's been used in the way it's been used over the years. The NFL is about preserving the status quo. And at some point, and we've had this, we probably all had this conversation about different things in society as well. At some point, when do we say, I don't want to play your game anymore and keep asking you to allow me into a space that you don't want me to stay in? For me, I mean, me, oh, me, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, me, me personally, uh, I'm, I'm honestly not very optimistic, uh, especially when it comes to the NFL, um, just because of just that slave master plantation mentality that's just ingrained in really if you even if you hear how some of the coaches talk about their players, uh, specifically how they were, they were talking about Deshaun Watson and, um, and even, if you look at it so many levels, I just feel like 
the NFL is just so ingrained in how they go about doing things, how they do business that I don't, I don't see a whole lot changing, honestly. Um, I hope something good comes out of the lawsuit. Uh, because I definitely think he has a, he has a case worth building. Um, but in terms of changing the minds and hearts of 32 old white billionaires, I'm, I'm personally not very optimistic of, and I think that's something that is going to have to be ongoing and it's going to take situations like this to kind of chip away. Uh, but I'm not walking away from this situation feeling as if there's going to be a problem resolved because they're going to, they're going to, teams are going to release their statements. They're going to say what they have to say. They're going to say whatever is, is acceptable for PR. And then eventually it's going to get swept under the rug and immediate cycle is going to keep moving. Uh, I think it's going to, it's going to take certain situations for people to feel jolted and then maybe they'll feel some type of responsibility um, to speak up. But I think especially when it, when it comes to coaches, that's just, that's just not necessarily always been the case. Um, as far as being a consumer, I am a Giants fan. So when the news broke and I saw that one of the teams, including in the lawsuit, was the Giants, my heart like literally stopped for a little bit because I thought Brian Flores was a shoe in for that hire. Um, he has four Super Bowls under his belt. He has had coaching experience. The Giants are in a rut. We haven't had a winning season in five years. So at this point, why not Brian Flores? What I thought when I saw that they hired Brian Dable didn't know who he was and be real honest. Maybe I should know who he is. Don't really know much of him. So when I saw how that unfolded, I was thinking, where do I stand as a Giants fan now? Like they literally, according to Bill Belichick's text messages with Brian Flores, they literally had this man come out for an interview for a job that he wasn't about to get a black man at that, at the end of the day. So I love the NFL. Like, out of college football, high school football, any football, professional NFL football is my thing. So even with the Kyle Kaepernick thing, there was that movement to boycott the NFL. And to be frank, I couldn't do it because I love the game. Like looking back at the championship round we just witnessed, the super wildcard weekend we just witnessed, the divisional round we witnessed, that's what like puts ice in my veins watching it. You know what I mean? That's what makes me love sports. So to think of like, dang, in order to prove a point, we should all get together and boycott this thing and maybe there's change. It's hard for me to like conceptualize that because I just feel like, yo, just do the right thing. So people who love what you guys are producing and what these players are going out and doing could just enjoy the game. But there's so much, as you mentioned, there's so much politics to it. So it's, it's just, I don't even know what to do as a consumer. You know, I know what to do with my platform. I'm vocal about it. Um, people could take offense to it if they want to. At the end of the day, I always say, you're not a black person and haven't experienced what we experience. You literally have no room to comment. Your opinion is not warranted. And some people take the comments about being a black person, being proud and feeling some type of racism or discrimination. Some white people feel like it's a jab at them but it's also using that moment to realize it's not about you. I'm not even thinking about you. You're the last person I'm thinking about. I'm supporting the person who's like me, who could be my father, who could be my brother, who could be my uncle and, and supporting him through his struggles. I mean, I, I think it's, it's very simple to me business-wise 
And that's what tells you that this is not about business. And because in business, you know, if you limit the talent pool, then you limit the, the, the results you're going to get. You know, if I want the best, I go looking as far and wide as I can to find the best. People, that's why people travel the world. If we were just, you know, if explorers had stayed in one place because they think this is all I need to know, then the world never, nobody would know where anything was. So you have to, just business sense tells you, if I want to find the best possible people, then I cast a wide net. So it shows you just off the top that there is no intent here to have the best and most qualified candidate because, A, those things are completely subjective. How do you prove that? You know, and, and there is no hard and fast criteria for what it requires to be an NFL head coach. But at the same time with this, too, is that we are put in the position of having to prove a negative, something that you can't see, something that they don't feel and something that they don't recognize as being real um, in many circumstances and just having to, when you tell your story and getting the look back, whether you're Brian Flores or whomever, us in our own lives and having it told this to HR people, to tell us to supervise it, tell us to coworkers, whatever, about something that's happened to you, whether it's a microaggression, a real aggression or a flat out insult to who you are as a black person and then to be met with disbelief doubt or just flat out rejection of the entire idea of, of racism. It's just those things, we're, 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 those are the same stages that Coach Flores is about to go through right now. Uh, no, nah, seriously, it's probably one of the hardest things to describe discrimination at the workplace, right? And then you're doing it with a league that probably already has something in place. Um, which is the scary part. They made a statement quicker than what we saw when Tom Brady was being investigated for deflated ball. Um, it seemed like it's already like we've been waiting for this and let's go ahead and move with what we have in order. Um, so it's very frustrating and it goes back to the statement that I made earlier. How do you prove to a person of non-color that you're going through a, a racist experience. Um, I really hope and believe that he has a good case for him. And I'm, I'm really happy that I'm not thinking necessarily about the conclusion of what's going to happen, but I'm personally happen, happy that this is just a, a topic of conversation that we as black people are no longer shying away from, right? I think for so long, we've talked about what goes on in the workplace with discrimination behind closed doors. And now you see all of these people becoming so outspoken about uh, outspoken about situations that has also happened to them. That's important for this case. I think that's gonna help move this conversation along when you have more people starting to, like the Hugh Jacksons uh, speaking out and saying like, hey, he's not alone. I did see um, a simple tweet earlier um, about a man having this conversation with his wife who doesn't know sports. And she basically asked, is he the whistleblower? And it's just like, wow, in 2022, like that's what it's come down to. That's a, that's the topic of conversation that we have to have. And I think that's the simple way to put it. Um, because if not him, then who? If not now, then when? When you look at what the what happened with the NFL and the investigation of the Washington football team, 
when we look into the NFL and what happened, you know, they got no punishment there. The only person who comes out of, the, of an investigation of an entire culture is the coach of another team who loses his job and is also suing the NFL. So nothing happened there. And like you said, the NFL statement to come out and immediately say, that's not a problem here because we spend all this time focused on creating uh equal opportunity within the workplace. There's no such problem. There's no merit to this at all. Instead of saying, we have to continually examine ourselves. We need to look inward, you know, and, and we'll discuss the merits of this case amongst ourselves and see if what we can do better, which would have been the PR thing to do. But I think what it showed on the part of the NFL is they know they won't lose this ultimately. They know we're still gonna show up on Sundays, that we're still gonna tune into the games, that we're still gonna buy the merch, and that that we will be a active part of this sham because America's addicted to it. It's mainlined into our blood. Also, like, let's be honest, right? This is a situation that we've been knowing has been going on for a while, but Kaepernick is still relatively new, right? Uh, there's a reason why y'all are seeing lift every voice at the beginning of a game, right? So for you to come out and make that statement, not only so quick, but in the midst of like, we've seen what you are capable of in the past, what makes you think that, you know, we could just dust it off and move. That's the history of America, right? Like we're in the middle of watching a series called Men produced by Will Smith. It's really good. Y'all should check it out. This is free promo for him. Um, but one thing that was really interesting to me and a reminder is like, it's the same cycle all the time and it's all under the umbrella of racism because we continue to hide and not talk about what needs to be addressed. For so long, the NFL hid what needed to be addressed and it started to come out to the light. So the fact that you have Brian Flores stepping up and saying this is an issue, they're reverting back to their old ways of hiding and not wanting to talk about what we all know is relatively fact like it's we, we we know we know this happens and a side note I thought it was funny that you know when this news happened we're seeing the interviews go on CBS and and first taking all that and the first thing I was like hey put it on ESPN so we could see what they're saying it goes back to what you were asking about the media situation like is all a propaganda and it becomes frustrating because I'm having to go to a source like ESPN who's been out and open about their discrimination over there um, and get my information about a topic about discrimination from a, a, you know, a source like ESPN. It's just like, whoa, mind blowing and frustrating when you see um, how it all ties in together and how we're supposed to move forward. Like it's gonna be for the players to make this a theme to talk about at those pressers, right? It's about having the right reporters in the locker room who can ask these type of questions, right? Are there, is there gonna be a reporter to ask Patrick Mahomes about what he think about this? He will probably reply that he's talked about Eric Vanemi um, being a great candidate for a job, but it doesn't need for a one, one-time only response. This is something that we will have to continuously talk about over and over and over again until the other person gets annoyed and figure out, well, let's do something about it, right? It, you have to become demanding of the changes that you want in order for something to happen. 
I mean, we could have to like Pat Mahomes is one thing, but you know, I know Joe Burrow would say something. We know that Joe Burrow. I, you know, I, I, I'm 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 not a big fan of the whole thing about inviting folks to the cookout or whatever. You, you know, but Joe Burrow at least has been apparently an ally and has Drew said gonna say something. Huh? Drew Brees gonna say something? Drew Brees, look, I'm still waiting for Drew Brees from two years ago after he started crying on Instagram. He said nothing since, so I don't want to hear that from out of Drew Brees for nothing. But when you do, when you look at the panels and you see four white people asking a black person about racism, when you see these these groups looking at you like again, you have to prove to them that this is real. Or you have to get more past the level of this is just about hurt feelings, because I think that's where the conversation gets pushed back to that. This is not about structure, that this is not about equity, that this is not about employment, that this is not about dollars. This is about feelings and that if we can change people's feelings about us, then things will be all right. Frankly, I don't give a fuck about how people feel about me. I don't need white folks to love me. I don't need them to like me. I just need to be treated with equity. That's all I want. I don't want equal outcomes. I don't think any black person has ever said, I want the exact same outcome as white people. But we do want the opportunity. We want the chance. And that part is apparent that we're not getting the chance. As you watch these conversations happen, does it feel almost again like it's a constant tribunal of trying to prove to people that this is not about feelings, that this is about structural issues within the NFL. This is about systemic racism in America. This is about institutions that have created barriers intentionally to keep us out of certain places. And that's what we're trying to do here, not make people feel good. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's beating a dead horse till this day. And it's like, if I have to continuously prove something to you, it's gonna be exhausting, right? Like, why why am I doing it if you're not gonna be able to see the picture? But then there's also the same breath as like, if I say anything, if I don't say anything, is that turning a blind eye? I just feel like, you know, as black people, we constantly have to prove ourselves. And I guess eventually you have to figure out in which ways do I do that? Do I continue to be vocal? Do I continue to get into, Twitter finger wars with people who have cats as avatars on their Twitter? Do I continue to make posts about why black people should be respected? And it's just thinking about like, at what point are people just gonna know and understand that we deserve this? Do I have to walk around with the resume glued to my face? And even if I do that, maybe that's still not enough. You know, if I put a reel together and I show that I've done nothing but cover the NFL for five years or whatever amount of time, there's still a point that somebody's gonna be like, oh, well, that's not enough. And then a white person could walk in with the same thing and for them, it's enough. So it's just it's just about if you have the energy to continue to prove yourself and support is a big thing. So even if it is like being like a dead horse, like I said, you know, I always have to remind myself that people need support in this fight just because it's not, maybe not me in this fight and. It's not my situation. I can't lose the energy. I can't, I can't give up because people like Brian Flores need all of us, all of us black people, white people as well, who consider themselves quote unquote allies 
He needs them all to speak up in this moment because this will quickly get brushed under the rug. And what's interesting also is that he's still up for two head coaching jobs, I believe, with the Texans and with the Saints. I'm not sure if that's still something that's going on. Yes, but if it is, he still is a candidate. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, what move are you guys going to make? Are you guys going to make a mega move and hire him while this is going on? Are you guys going to step back and refrain from the drama that's going on? Malcolm, I want to ask you this. Um, the conversation that Coach Flores brought up about the plantation mentality, and we touched on this a little bit earlier. There's a little bit of irony, too, to me, that the lawsuit comes on February 1st, first day of Black History Month. Today is National Signing Day, um, where thousands of young Black men are signing to go to predominantly white institutions, um, where that narrative really, you know, it starts in high school, and that model of black players, white coach, the overseer of the black players, the, the secondary father figure to these misguided youths. Then that goes on to college where we see white coaches all the time talking about how they've rescued these boys from these places where they shouldn't be and how their home environments, they need them on the football field because if they go home, they're lost. And then you get to the NFL and it's the same thing as the white coaches, the black players on the field. You see it in the you get you get the black recruiters. You get the guys who can speak the language of, of those folks while you want them to come play for your school or for your professional team. I got the guy who can speak your language. But the, when it's time to make decisions, when it's time to talk money, when it's time to talk playing time, those guys aren't in the room. So just this whole sham of of that. It, of that plantation and we see it from level to level to level and how did where do we start breaking this down hmm. I, and i'm glad that you that you mentioned that fundamental level um even when they when they talk about little league and they say it's bigger than the game or it's more than a game and they, they try to coin these these like very abstract sayings of, of that like you said basically like this game is rescuing people from from poverty um when i think essentially poverty is a systemic issue it's not a, it's not a money issue it's, a, it's it's an issue that comes from a lot of these owners a lot of their friends who are in or politicians who are in these rooms so to me to me that all of these things kind of go hand in hand and they want to keep keep black people in this space of that we're supposed to be grateful for, for all of these things that we've been given and that how dare we speak up and speak out after all that we've been given when when we have a right to these things just as much as they do uh and i think and i think back to um when brett Favre was making his comments uh especially about black quarterbacks speaking up he's just telling these guys like shut up and play and it's just like you were one of the most vocal people during your time your career and you were not a perfect player nor did you shut up at any time um so i think it's just that when it goes back to that that plantation mentality of like you're here you're here we're here be happy that you're here it could it could it could be worse it could be it could be this we could not let you in the door at all um so um i think in terms of in terms of solutions for the headed towards the future uh i think i think one is one is a black community we have to we have to start letting especially the the young athletes know that one, there's more. There's more than one avenue in life other than sports. 
And I think a lot of times it's just all we have this all or nothing mentality. And when sports doesn't work out for us, we don't know. We don't really know what we're going to do. A lot of our fresh our athletic careers end. So I think that what what black people can start doing for ourselves is start being being present in these young black people, black boys' lives, and and being those coaches and and being being in a position to work your way up and to get those college jobs to then get those pro jobs. I think that um, it, it it's it's a it's a multi-pronged approach, um, but I think it it all boils down to the, these white people in these rooms wanting to they have this they have this internal feeling that by letting one of us in, we're taking something away from one of them. When in reality, plan, can, candidate A and candidate B have the same credentials and they put it in the same work. Uh, so I think if you want to talk about a mentality change and 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 what and what things can start doing is that start telling start explaining to these white people in these positions that we're not taking anything from you and that we're not trying to come in these rooms and, and disrupt, but we're just trying to get into that door and then leave that door behind for somebody else to come up and, and to be able to accomplish the same things that I have, because we all know that, especially in the NBA, we've seen that coaches are being extremely successful. Phoenix Suns, they have an entire culture change because of a head black coach. So um, I think I think the proof is in proof is in the pudding, but uh, it, 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 it's it's just a long fight, man, for sure. It, it, it's an incredibly long fight because we're the latest in it. It's and that's the part that I think is so frustrating in this is that Brian Flores could be any number of coaches. We could be any number of reporters or, or media people who have gone through this before. Um, and there has been the, yeah, we, we understand this progress. I know I don't have it as bad as my grandfather had it. I know that. Right. Um, but that don't make it easy. That's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, I think I think that's the same tune all the time. I'm I'm not I'm not I don't walk around life uh being also grateful for what for what white people have done for us. Um I'm there's there's so much more progress that needs to be made outside of sports, um, outside of the media space. Um, so, I mean, I like for me, I like this lights the fire in me and it makes me want to go harder at what I'm doing because I know that by me making the sacrifice and me putting in that work and like Flores was saying that like the, the, the purpose and the overall mission is big, is bigger than my personal goals. And I think that, a lot of athletes have to take that mentality that you have to be willing to put things, those type of things on the line for the greater good. And I, I just don't, I just don't think the athletes are there right now. I really don't. No, and I think that that's the fear that the leagues use, not just the NFL, but all leagues use to keep players in line is that financial tether of knowing that we can injure your, you know, existence basically by removing you from this money-making situation that you only get maybe three, five, seven years in which to work. And that pressure, I think that means, and we know how the playbook goes. The next thing that's going to happen, and I joked about this on Twitter today, is who's going to be the one that goes out on the NFL programs, who goes out on Fox News, who goes out there, the former player, the former coach, and starts saying, I never experienced anything like that. I got a fair shake. 
Nobody ever treated me badly. It's, it's coming. You say that because Tiki Barber was actually doing that earlier today, saying that his experiences with the Giants were nothing like that. He has a lot of respect for Wellington Mara and the Mara family. So there's always going to be somebody who does that. And I take that as like, just like I said earlier, like, you know, sometimes white people need to understand when a black person is, is having an outcry about racism that they express, it's not about you in this moment. You cannot negate his experiences. And that's something you need to sit back and be like, maybe this isn't a time where I need to defend the Giants. Obviously, I think in that situation, his opinion was asked of him. So he's going to say something. But the main thing that needs to be said is, listen, I'm not taking anything from what Brian experienced. And period. I mean, you don't even need to allude to what your experiences was, because it's not like you're taking the jab at them. But obviously, in some situations, you're baited into saying something and I'm not saying that Tiki Barber can't say he didn't have a great relationship with the Mara family. I'm not saying that. But what you're doing in that sense, especially being a black man, is giving white people the opportunity to be like, hmm, so Brian Flores is just making it up. Yep. How do we even know that he, because the Giants said they he was their candidate to the 11th hour. No, he was not. He literally went on the interview. And why do you think Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick of all people is going to sit there and text somebody congratulations? Like, come on, like, just be honest. And even with the with the NFL, their statement, talking about without merit. I mean, like, you guys, as you mentioned, you didn't even take that moment to say, you know what, these are very serious claims. We're going to do some internal investigation and see what we find. But no, you shut that down completely. So this is going to get messy. It's going to get messy. I feel like something's going to be digged up about Flores to make him you know, the villain in this situation or, oh, look what he did. He he may have punched a player in Miami and now his his case should be dismissed. Or, you know, like, you know, that's what- He got a jaywalking happened. ticket in 2008. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's gonna get messy, but I do just hope that changes are made. Um, I hate for him to be the sacrificial lamb. I do think he should be hired if he's a candidate for a head coaching vacancy, go through with that. And if he's qualified, hire him, hire him. You know, it's, um, you know, it's like if you live next to, to, to a murderer and that person murdered 13, 14 people, but they ain't kill you. And they ask you or the police comes by, you know, or the news camera says, well, what was your neighbor like? That's not the time to say he it's cool with me. <laughs> like they're just, you know, or if R. Kelly didn't rape me, like, no, this is, is sometimes it's time to stand down. And like you said, it, it, I think when when any person, whether it's a black person in this case, or if it's a woman talking about sexual harassment or, or um, sexual misconduct or sexual assault. Let them have their discussion, let them pursue their angle. Your your position is either one of silence or support. Because getting in it, it ain't about you. Like you said, it's not about you in that moment. It's about that other person. So you like anything that gives a pass for people to take it less seriously, you need to heavily weigh those words before you speak them. Because we will get used. Anything that you say that can be taken out of context, anything that you say that appears to be on the other side of that issue, anything you say that minimizes what racism does to people in the workplace, that's going to get pushed to the front. And not the fact that you could say, 
in my personal, if you have to lead it off of in my personal picture experience, I didn't get it. It happens. It just because it didn't happen to you doesn't mean it's not happening. It's the silent hand clap for me. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's very, today's one of those days where for me, and I'm a very emotional person. Today is one of those days where it's like, I don't want to be nothing else. But today is real hard to be black. You know what I mean? Like I have those days every now and then where it's just, it's real hard today to be black. I'm getting reminded a lot and not in ways that I'm enjoying that I'm black. And I agree. I agree. (laughs) I definitely, you definitely feel that weight sometimes because like, like we've been saying, there's, it's, it's all these things that under fall under the same umbrella. So there's just so many different things that take, that take forms that all stem back to kind of the same idea. And it's the same idea that we've been fighting for so long. So it's like, it's, it, I feel like, I feel like every black person kind of goes through that where it's kind of, kind of like you, you advocate and you, and I feel as though because we are, we're such a compassionate people and we have so much space for that. It, it makes it it makes it hard for us to try to wrap our brains around like how can you continuously keep something like this up? How can you fuel continuously fuel this hate and keep this thing going? And then just to to the public is just like it's just complete omission. Um, so I, I I agree. Today today has been the past few days have been have been like that for me. And I mean, I don't I don't know. I I try to I try to be optimistic about about the future in sports and, and what that means, especially in the coaching. And it's, we haven't talked about the general manager position um, and, and, how, and how big of a role that plays into actually the, the team aspect of things. Uh, I just I just hope I just hope and pray that white people can can grow more to have the capacity to to see the the humanness in everyone and, and that we especially we as black people we don't look at we don't look at ourselves as being higher or lower than anybody we look at everybody on the same playing field and I, and I think we we're blessed to have that capacity to look to walk through life like that and I think maybe through these type of things and having these continued conversations that can that's something that kind of hit other people's ears maybe they hear it they hear it a certain way and, and, and maybe that rings true to them, and maybe that's the fight that needs to keep being fought. Um, but it, it 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 has been a long a long fight, and it's, it's just like history is just repeating itself in a lot of ways. Shakira, um, something that that also is kind of weighing on me is like you look at the time that we're in, and earlier, you know, you go back to uh, December with early signing day, and Deion Sanders secures the number one prospect in the country. And immediately we became about how did Dion pull this off? What cheating did Dion do to pull this off? And then you look at the context of what's going on with the NFL, or you do look at the context of what has happened, you know, uh, with, with black ball players in major league baseball. And when they try to speak up and get kind of marginalized there, the, the removal of personality from the game, you know, the rules of the game of saying, you, we don't act like this on the field. It feels like ever since 
the summer of 2020 when things really kind of reached that boiling point that we thought was going to produce more than it did. Um, the pushback has been in every area to try to preserve those spaces for white people that anything that we get now is under question because it can't be because of your skill that you succeeded. It can't be because you offered something that was worthwhile was the reason that you succeeded. Those things now, which used to get kind of whispered when you were in class or something, they were like affirmative action, you got let in because it is. Those are now open talking points out in the public. And it just feels like there is a use of this time to kind of make the, the as many of us that rise up and speak our voices to just turn that into noise that can be ignored too. Um, you said a handful there because a lot of it reminisced with uh, just the emotions that I've been thinking about and going through as well. Um, as we started the conversation, here we go again, right? So this is a triggering point for something that just probably took place a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, a year ago for some of us. Um, you nailed it on the head speaking about like it felt like we were getting to some type of progression um, at one point in time with this entire situation because it was no longer being discussed behind closed door. And then you get this urge of feeling of people saying, okay, we're moving too fast or hey, not that just yet too soon, too soon. Like, hey, we're allowing this, but like, let's wait a little bit for the next progression, right? And it, it becomes a time where you have to think about like, what type of conversations are we having and are we starting to hold people accountable um, to what it is that they say that they're gonna do as well as what it is that you're working towards. Um, I don't necessarily think the NFL has been held accountable because to a certain degree, there's only so much the players can do I think it's about the influence within the boardrooms. Um, as Malcolm said, those GM positions, those owners. Um, and it seems as though those are the ones who need to be held accountable, but those are the ones less accessible. So when we figure out a way to start, I don't want to necessarily say targeting them because it's not about revenge. Yeah, it's it's about bringing something like if if you're going to preach diversity and inclusion, let's talk about it. And again, I go back to saying the NFL releasing that statement so soon and neglecting anything other than the fact that there's no merit. Well, no, Sherlock, like it's really hard to prove racism because you, you don't believe in it. Like you don't you, believe in it. They fundamentally reject it as an idea other than something that is completely outward. Like white folks will not accept racism as a thing unless it's somebody burning a cross on your lawn 
unless then it's you some- have them acting in a savior moment, right? Like, oh, I have a black friend. We've hired black employees here before. Um, yeah, be the black person who's filling the quota and realize that your management don't know how to, I don't even want to say handle you, but they don't have the diverse and inclusion training themselves to include you. That's a whole different ball game, right? We're talking about Brian Flores, who is a head, well, was a head coach, a, a good candidate for a head coach position who knows and has shown that he's able to work in both realms, right? The, 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 the realms of the admin, the admin and as well as with the players. I think those type of things need to start being the forefront of what makes a person good to like, do people want to win? Like, if you want to win, get somebody in that's going to be able to work with the culture in your in in your locker room, right? And majority of the culture is what eighty percent black. I think when you think of the prob- the probability of him also possibly working with the Saints, I said earlier that I think that is, I think that's a good idea. I- what is the next part of this? Because you know, we'll watch and we'll try to support Coach Flores as it goes on from our perspectives. But what do you, what do each of us do um, in the meantime through our profession to kind of make sure that this doesn't uh, fall out of the conversation again? Naomi? For me, I'm, I'm, I want to go back. I don't want to go too far back and then kind of derail. But um, mm-hmm. I lived in Minnesota when George Floyd was murdered and um Obviously, the summer of 2020 was crazy. A lot of racial tension there. And um, that situation was triggering for me. And then we had the Jacob Blake situation, which caused almost every league to boycott their games. And something I did in that moment was scratch my regular sports cast and I used my time on air to talk about the racial injustices, the things that African-Americans and black people were going through. So with this situation, I plan to continue to use my platform. And obviously not in a way where it's disrespectful to any other race, but just in a way where it's supportive to the people that reflect me and, and walk the same paths of lives. Because if, if, if People who look like me are struggling. What do I look like having the platform I have to just kind of sit back and just pick, all right, well, here's some Alabama football highlights and Auburn highlights. Like what, like, what do I look like when there's a bigger picture? So moving forward, I think, you know, I advise everybody to use whatever platform you have, have these conversations among your friend groups, you know, even because your friend groups obviously aren't only just full black. You have friends, at least for me personally speaking, I have friends of different races. And this is a conversation that I want to have. I have this conversation with people who may not even pay attention to sports because what's happening with Brian Flores is reflective to what happens in this culture, in the society in general. So I think just keep having this conversation, use your platform and do all that you can personally do. Don't try to be an overachiever. Don't do anything that's going to make you lose your job, but be vocal if you can. Malcolm, do you think that that we have to have really two different conversations because I think internally as black folk, we have to continue to talk to each other. We have to continue to share experiences. We have to continue to 
buck each other up and say, get through this day. You go, you know, we, we have those because there may not be another black person in your newsroom. There may not be another black person in that beat. There may not be another, like you, you ain't got another black person in your state, <laughs> Naomi, to, to compare, to commiserate with, but you know, to have, we have to have those conversations internally, but at the same time, we do have to message it for a broader audience. Do you, how do you, deal with 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 the with that dual messaging because that's that's been our problem and that's been our, our another one of our burdens as long as we've been Americans is having to speak out of both sides to to communicate one central idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely think that that is a dual conversation, but I think where where people have to make their determination is kind of where do you where do you fall in, in that? Because I think it will take people who are willing to kind of sit across the aisle and have those, have those, have that dialogue. Um, but someone like myself, uh, I went, I went to a predominantly black high school. I went to HBCU and I worked for all black papers. I, I concentrated a lot of, a lot of my energy on the, the urban communities and getting them the information and the, and educating them on, on certain topics. But also, uh, when I started at the paper, I started a student athlete of the week. Uh, section where I will only highlight black athletes in, in Wichita and people out here like like the concert they were like wow you someone's actually doing that and I think it's, it's going to take it's going to take a lot more of that and and in, empowering ourselves and and having that sense of community where we feel like we we go out and we tackle all these things in the world but we have that that kind of that community to fall back on. It's someone that have, that have our backs. So I think we need to work on the cohesiveness amongst ourselves and the messaging and what and what we're trying to do as a people. Um, because I think for a lot of white people, that's their argument that you, you black people killing black people, y'all killing yourselves, and and they use that argument to then therefore justify any any type of way that they act because they say they feel that we don't respect ourselves. Um, so I, I think that in that, in that dual messaging of em, em, empowerment of ourselves within region, region across the aisle in, in white people's brains, they're saying like, okay, like they're kind of, they're, they're handling, they're handling their business, but they're, we're also continuing and having this conversation and that I think in our minds, it's easy to be like, this is a conversation we can sit down, we can iron out right now. But for a lot of white people, this is this has been their that's their upbringing, that's their tradition. That I mean, that's their history has been combative and destruction and overtaking and killing. So, like to kind of wrap their brains around being more compassionate, I think we'll take time. It's going to be an ongoing conversation. It's something that they. I think you 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 almost have to kind of hold their hands along with. That's what you want. Me personally, not so much. That's why I focus on my energy on my community. But I think that is something that that needs to be added, though, for sure. I think that's just that's such something that we all just keep battling with. Because I know I have those moments where I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this this anymore. Like that part of the game, the mainstream part of it, of trying to work for entities that don't necessarily respect what I say, how I say it. And, and what I want to do with the talent that I have. But at the same time, 
I know I'm as good or if not better than a lot of these folks who are sitting behind these microphones, who are sitting in front of these cameras, who are behind these keyboards, writing this nonsense and doing these things. And that I'm not just going to allow them to own that space and get to tell the stories. And I think that 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 fight that we always have, and I think that's partially what it is is for Brian Flores. I think that's why when he says, you know, it, it, it really got to me when he said that um, his dignity was hurt. Because I think that's the thing that we all deal with, too, is that I can lose a job. I don't I'm not it's not about a job in particular. It's about how I feel I've been treated. Have you viewed me as a man? Have you viewed me as an equal? Have you viewed me as someone who is worthy? And I think you we all know in those moments when we have not been viewed that way. It doesn't take a, a particular word. It doesn't take a, 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 some outright statement or action. You know when you are in a room with people who don't value you. And this is a league that doesn't value us. This is a country that struggles with how much or if it chooses to value us. And I just don't want it to get back to the situation where we view the NFL or any of these things as these separate entities and not as part of this American um, ecosystem, which thrives on inhumanity. It's. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. And this is a conversation that can literally go on. So probably the end of my days, um, cause there's, there's but so much control we have over the situation. You know, we could we could say what we personally are gonna do, but it sucks to say, but this is bigger than us. This is bigger than us. Like it takes a million of us to make a movement to do something. It takes people dying, it takes blood shed for change to happen. So it's just exhausting, you know, to say the least. It's exhausting. And all I can say is that, you know, Brian Flores has my support regardless of the way this lawsuit goes, because it's kind of like we see each other. That's all that needs to be said. I, I really want to thank you all for um, participating in this conversation, because like you said, we could we could talk about this for ad infinitum, um, mm-hmm. because there are so many examples and there are so many feelings in this. Um, I want to see where this goes. Absolutely. Uh, and I think, you know, we'll continue to be vigilant in, in making sure that this doesn't fall out of, this, of the, the, the cycle, that it doesn't become just another story, uh, because it can't be. We can't, now more than ever, we have to continue to amplify these things uh, because it feels like, at least for us, there is a mental tipping point that's coming. It feels that I will say this during the pandemic, and this is I have never been closer and more connected since the start of the pandemic to now to black content creators, writers, um, journalists. Never in my life have I shared more information, shared more camaraderie, never shared all those things. And I feel like there is a, a coalescing of energy and spirit amongst us, even though we can't see each other, even though none of us right now are in the same room, 
I can feel my connection to all of, of us because we are now talking about it, um, not just amongst ourselves, but we're willing to have the conversation with each other in front of white folks and make them listen to it. Yeah. Like they don't get to participate sometimes. They just got to listen. And we're unafraid right now to have that conversation in the public square and dare somebody to tell us to be quiet. So as I feel that same despair at times, but at least I'm hopeful that within our community that we are able to continue to strengthen our own resolve for each other and be there to support each other as we continue this fight. If y'all have um, a final comment that you want to make, Naomi, I'll let you go first. No, I mean, I don't really have much else to say. I think we said, we touched on a lot of things. And as I said earlier, my support remains with Brian Flores. I hope that the situation gets rectified. I hope that it doesn't just take a settlement. I hope that the Rooney rule um, is revamped because obviously just asking the NFL to interview certain candidates isn't working. I hope that, you know, there's a different quota that's in place. How about hire them? Malcolm, you got a final word? Yeah, I definitely appreciate uh, you having me on the platform. Um, and and I just think moving forward, I think we just we need we need to understand the the power that that we have as a people, and that understanding that us being moving unified is is a very hard force to to go up against. Um, so I think that that energy that we feel amongst each other. It's something that we have to hone on to and kind of move away from that, that crabs in a barrel mentality and start realizing that we're all, we're all soldiers in the same, in the same fight. Um, and I think that would kind of be the most important thing moving forward you know, with the, with the generations to, to follow. Um, that, I mean, it's not, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, but I mean, through conversation, through, contacting legislation through getting involved in whatever you find passionate, whether that be climate change, whether that be sports. Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a collective effort that I think is going to, to, for it to enter the sports realm, it'll have to happen outside and outside where I think that's where sports, politics, all of that converges all in the same space. Um, so I, I think that's where we need to be at looking for, for sure. Thank you all again. Um, I really appreciate it uh, for y'all sharing your time with me and sharing your thoughts. Um, so for Shakira Martin, Naomi Gray, and Malcolm Carter, I am David Grubb. This has been Hard in the Paint, and uh, there's more to come over the next few days. Um, tomorrow I'll be sp speaking with Dan Lust, an attorney, and we'll get into the legal parts of of this case and talk about the merits of it there, which I think is an, is obviously the most important aspect of this um, as to whether or not this lawsuit will be successful. But I want y'all to stay tuned for that. Of course, you can follow me at DM Grub on Instagram and Twitter. And you can check out Hard and Paint wherever you get your podcast. Uh, until the next time, uh, y'all be easy.